Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Machines and Masterpieces, a podcast that is interested in the intersection of culture, technology, and economics. I am Christoph Spiers, and I'm an Associate Professor of Finance at HEC Paris. My guest today is Mitali Banerjee, who is a colleague of mine at HEC. She's an Assistant Professor in our Strategy and Business Policy Department, and studies creativity, differentiation, fame, and social networks in creative industries. In a couple of different papers, she uses machine-based evaluations of creativity, and so I'm very happy that she's joining me on the podcast today. Hi, Mitali. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me. Thank you, Christoph, for having me. It's a pleasure being here. So I first wanted to talk about a recent research project of yours in which you study an elite group of important early 20th century abstract artists. You look at the relation between differentiation and fame. You analyze whether the artists that differentiated themselves more from their peers became more or less famous afterwards. Now, measuring differentiation is, of course, not straightforward. So can you maybe explain the measure that you came up with? So there have been papers in the past that have done try to measure how different, how original or novel a product is. For instance, a piece of music is or a, a scientific publication is. And this paper was, in some sense, the method that we used here was trying to improve on that. And in the past, there have Either the measure has just measured part of the product, for instance, uh, in the case of, for instance, Dean Keith Simonton's work, where he looks at the first um, six notes of composition to determine how original it is. Or in other cases, people have looked at how different or unique the references that are at the back of a scientific publication are. While these methods were in some sense, a progress over what was done before them, there there are limitations on this. For one, it's not measuring the actual product. And our goal here was to look at, measure how different uh, a piece of work is, a piece of complex creative work, in this case, a piece of painting was. And in order to do that, we used this deep learning tool, convolutional neural nets, to do that. And the way convolutional neural nets work is they take any input, in this case, uh, a painting, which is basically a list of numbers of RGB values, and then representing that as a vector, as a list of numbers. Usually convolutional neural nets used like this, they are used to say, for instance, if I feed it a picture of a cat, it tries to predict whether this is a cat or a dog based on the output of the list of numbers. And what we did is we took that representation, that output of list of numbers, as a representation of the painting. And once we have that kind of a vector representation, that list, long list of numbers, we are able to compute how different a given work of art is relative to any other reference group of work of art. So that's what we do. We, com- we look at how different a given painting is, in this case, in the form of the list of numbers is, from another set of painting. So that in some in summary, there's sort of two steps here. The first is using the convolutional neural net to get this representation, this list of numbers. That's what the machine learning algorithm does. And then in the second step, we compute how different based on this list of numbers, which represents painting, is from a given set of paintings. So you have a set of you have a set of artists and you look at all their artworks, you have a sort of digital or numerical representation of all artworks, and then you can compare these artworks to each other. 
based on their characteristics and see how different each artwork is compared to all other artworks that are out there or all other artworks that have been produced by these artists' peers, right? So now this is a bit of a black box, arguably, right? So I think a critique often of these uh, neural networks is that they're a bit of a black box. So how do we know that these, this measure makes sense, right? So if you look at the scores or the, the differentiation measure that comes out of that model, how do we know that that measure makes sense? How do you evaluate that? In order to actually validate that, First of all, we just sampled a bunch of paintings to basically see for our own common sense and our own intuition whether, in fact, these paintings, the difference that we perceive as humans between these paintings actually corresponds to the, this machine learning based score that we have computed. We provide a bunch of examples in the paper for that. But we actually, my co-author, Daniel Kaplan, did this a survey where we actually asked the participants in the survey to compare the paintings to each other. So what we did is we showed them a first a primary image, then we showed them two other images, uh, two secondary images, and asked them which of these two is closest to the first image, the primary image they've seen. So in essence, it's asking people to see uh, which is which are closer or in which are more similar or more different here. So based on those responses, we then actually have, we surveyed a bunch of people, we got a consensus uh, for each sort of set of paintings that we showed them, we, we got a consensus view that this painting number, which, which of the paintings are more dissimilar for each set of paintings. And then what we did is we tried to see whether our machine learning based measure is a better predictor of the consensus view than any given individual participant in the survey. And what we find is the machine learning based measure is agreed with the consensus of all human participants more than that of any given person. So that kind of gives us more confidence that this is actually, our measure is actually picking up what we as human beings perceive as differences between this kind of work in this case the paintings so one, one thing i was i was wondering about before we go to the relation to fame can i talk about your differentiation measure as a as a creativity measure or do you think that differentiation and creativity are two different concepts here i think differentiation is important for creativity it is in some sense required but we don't think it's equal they are not the same thing just because there is a lot more um complexity to what people have defined creativity. There's a lot of different definitions of creativity, but in huge number of cultural markets and creative markets, things have to be different for them to be creative. Uh, more often than not, that's the case. Okay, so it's a differentiation measure. So I'll talk about differentiation, not creativity. So you want to see how it correlates with artists' fame, right? So are the artists that differentiate themselves more from their peers do they also then become more or, or maybe less famous afterwards? So that means that you also need a measure of fame. We have the differentiation measure already. So how do you measure fame? So a measure of fame actually comes from mentions in texts. And this measure has been used in countless studies. I mean, in the most obvious cases, when we look at uh, research on scientific publications, it's how frequently something is cited, uh, cited, but also people have looked at how frequently musicians are mentioned, for instance, in a set of books. 
But usually the SAT has been very uh, relatively small. What we used was a Google Ngram corpus, which has about six to eight million texts, or at least it did at the time. It might have more texts, and it it has a fairly broad coverage of the kind of texts. It has books, it has art journals, it has newspapers, and our measure was the proportion of times that an artist's name shows up in this text. And the other advantage of Google Ngram corpus is, first of all, it has it covers a very long time period. It also covers multiple languages. So in that sense, it gives pretty good measure in how well-known, how much visibility or attention an artist is getting in at least the printed press across the world. So I have to think about this measure of fame as how many times an artist is mentioned in books published in different languages over the last few decades, right? Books, newspapers, journals. Okay. So should I think of fame? Is fame the same thing as reputation? Sorry that I'm asking all these questions about definitions, but should I think about fame also as, as reputation or do you see that as, as two different things? I see that as two different things. Reputation is to use more of what has been understood mostly in often more often than not in economics. It's more a signal of the quality, your quality of your work. And whereas fame is just sheer attention. So that's, I would say, one of the primary differences. The other thing that reputation can be positive or negative, you can have a bad or a good reputation. In our case, we are just looking at sheer volume of mentions. It has no valence to it. So, so what are some of the most famous uh, artists in, according to this measure in your data set? One you would guess are obviously uh, Picasso is in, in the data. So he's definitely among uh, the most uh, famous there. Then there are artists like Fanon Legere. Then there's Robert Delaunay. Not a whole lot of women <laughs> who are very famous. Francis Picabia, Mondrian. These would be among the most famous artists. Kandinsky as well. So you have your differentiation measure uh, coming from your neural network and you have your fame measure coming from the Google uh, Ngram data. So then what did you find in terms of the relation between differentiation on the one hand and fame on the other hand? So what we find is a negative relationship between the artist, the extent to which an artist is differentiated or different from her peers and how much attention he or she receives in any given year. So this is surprising, right? I mean, or, or I don't know if it's surprising, but it's surprising to me in a sense that so if you're, again, if you're differentiating more as an artist, you, you get her less attention, right? So what, what you're saying basically is that it's better, at least in terms of getting attention, to conform to your peers or the average peer, let's say. Right. So... I think it, to us, it is surprising. And first of all, for several reasons. First of all, this is uh, the art market. It is, in some sense, the market where difference is uh, valorized. Do you have to be different from what's come before? In, in, in many ways, it's like academia. When we write a paper, in the end, it has to be, for it to be a contribution, at least uh, in a lot of management research, it has to be something new or different. If it is the same that we all, if there is, if it's what we already know, then it's not seen as a contribution. And that's even more so the case in the art market. And so it's surprising that even though differentiation is that so valorized in that market, we see this negative result. But it's a little, there's also nuance in 
a lot of art market, a lot of creative markets, and especially in the art market, there is this tension between wanting to be different, wanting to be original, doing a sort of breaking the mold of what's come before. But there's also this implicit sort of standard. It's not, not for instance, like the automobile industry where the standards are kind of very well-defined, but there is a standard to, one might say, some kind of an ideal, an aesthetic ideal that uh, these producers, these artists are striving towards. And it's not clear which, how this tension sort of plays out. And to us, it was going into it, Sante, we, it, at least based on the past studies, which in our opinion did not really have the right measures, do not really do a justice. And the past sort of results kind of are mixed in that respect. And so going into it, we kind of did not, we had Exante, we could argue both ways. And the fact that we see this result actually not just true for one specific time period. So we look at the artist's career from 1905 throughout their whole career and beyond till 2000, the result holds for that long time period. The result also holds if we kind of remove take different slices of that time period and so that's very surprising and one could what's even more surprising is one could argue that well if you're really really different and uh, you're doing something it you can come across as really weird and nobody's going to pay attention to you i guess it's the same in academia right so in academia you're doing something entirely different and i'm not sure that would really help you right but so what we actually did to test that to see rule that out that that's not what's driving our results we actually took the artists who are the most different going we started with the ones in the 90th percentile and we went down to the 50th percentile so we basically got rid of half our data and the result still holds the statistical significance falls obviously but the result still holds. So to us, it's not, this is not just about that you're just very weird and that's why you're not getting attention. The other thing that makes this result to us very interesting in some sense is the sample that was selected here was selected by the curators at the Museum of Modern Art in New York. And in our interviews again and again, what came through is the they selected the artists on based on who made a substantive, very meaningful contribution to the development of abstract art. So in some sense, that gives us, again, these are not some weird people who are doing really bizarre stuff. They have a certain degree of legitimacy. And despite that, what we see is within these set of pioneers, it is those who are kind of conforming to this implicit standard, this ideal which is kind of this kind of the average of what all their peers are doing, those are the ones who get more attention. And the further away an artist kind of moves away from that uh, center, that average, the less attention they receive. So in a way, the finding is a bit sad, maybe, right? I mean, <laughs> you, you could argue that 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 in a way what you're saying is that the most innovative ideas do not get the most attention. Is that is that one way to think about your results? That's exactly it. And that's in some sense, yes, disheartening that truly transformative ideas may not really, may not get the most attention. So what can we do about this? How can we give transformative ideas more attention? I mean, either either in the art market or in, I mean, I guess there's also implications for, for firms and organizations here, right? I think 
there's a lot of our sort of a lot of uh, ideas now a lot of products are consumed through these platforms that kind of mediate our experience of it and i think that's an opportunity in how we engage with these products uh, how we engage with difference because any time our experience we experience difference it's kind of disruptive it can catch our attention which is so by the way that's another reason why the result is surprising because if you look at old uh, psychology research it would say that things have to be disruptive anything that's disruptive kind of catches our attention um but what we find is this is not the case here but i think to the extent these platforms where we consume a lot of music art even academic research can allow us to sort of be more engaged with uh the work because right now a lot of platforms i feel are designed to sort of get you be on the platform but not necessarily engage deeply with the actual products that's an experience it i mean maybe not accurate but so what i actually this might be interesting this is we are still doing pilot studies so with and in another project what i have done with my co-authors is we actually uh showed a bunch of different different pools of students so far these different kinds of art and one among this set of art is is this abstract piece which is actually the most difficult in some sense to understand right away and one of the we gave these um the participants uh different conditions under which they look at the piece of art you know sort of one sort of emphasizing the status of the artist or the museum in which the art is and uh the other giving historical context and the uh, one of the conditions is sort of making them think about the personal meaning that this work of art has for uh them and what we actually find so far in two very very different samples in which the pilot has been done is in the condition in which we ask people to think about the personal meaning of this any given work of art has there people end up liking and engaging with the more difficult abstract piece of work of art much for a longer time we are actually able to look at how much how how much longer they spend with that work of art and also we ask them how much they like it how engaging they find it so that to me suggests something about how you could design a lot of maybe some platforms if not more that's something that could ask people in some way to engage more in a way that kind of brings in what this something means personally to them at least for cultural products for technological products you might have to do something more but i think there is an opportunity in how we engage the because i feel like that kind of engagement a lot in a lot of fields we are going through a there's so much information there's so much so much new stuff but we don't really spend time in actually engaging with things and if we just spend are able to devote that time that engagement i feel like we would be able to appreciate complex ideas truly transformative ideas more